This is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snoozetoawaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including tons of cutting-edge free content, visit crowrising.com. I'm also on Telegram at t.me slash Luckman, as well as Substack at saulluckman.substack.com, where I've just released my new book, Musings from a Small Island. This self-illustrated memoir will have you alternately bursting with laughter and bursting at the seams with new perspectives on life, death, and the curiouser and curiouser cosmos we call home. For a limited time, you can laugh along with a complete text with a free seven-day trial, which will also give you access to a wealth of additional premium content. Also, please mark your calendar for Errant Fest decoding the simulation to survive and thrive together coming september 22nd through 24th to a virtual location in the comfort of your own home stay in the loop by signing up for the chat at substack.com slash chat slash 869093 if you're a researcher author influencer or content creator interested in talking visionary fiction, energy medicine, shamanism, simulation theory, and related topics with me on this show, by all means, drop me a line. I'm also open to coming on other podcasts as a guest to drill down into what's up in the simulacrum and how we can survive and thrive here. If you really appreciate what I'm doing here, I'd really appreciate your buying me a coffee, which I'll be sure to sip in your honor at buymeacoffee.com slash Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Mike Wilkerson, of the At Stellium 7 YouTube channel, which is definitely turning a lot of heads in the alternative history and science communities of late. Dr. Mike is a chiropractor living in Spain who, as it were, stumbled his way into the emerging field of biogeology. Evidence is mounting, we read on his channel, that what we think of as geology is actually biogeology. We are quite literally walking and living on the remains of all of those that lived before. They are small, giant, and even titanic in size. It's becoming clear that geology needs desperately to be revisited with new eyes and revived. Amen. Welcome to Soul Luckman Uncensored, Dr. Mike. Thank you for joining me today or, or this evening in your time zone. Thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I've been binge watching your material for uh, a few weeks and participating in some of your chats and whatnot. Uh, at least on one chat, I was I, I attended a live and um, lots of energy and interest. And I know you did a recent interview with Jason Bashirs, and that's brought a lot of traffic to your channel. Has that been has that been a breath of fresh air to to have a, a lot yeah a lot of lot of new people and and uh, really you know positive comments on the content and. Uh, 
not just going to the latest video, but actually churning through some of the past videos, which is always nice to see because sometimes people hop on and they sub because they saw you somewhere, but they don't really have a clue what's come before and what you've been doing. And uh, so some of them are, are actually doing that and going back to older stuff and commenting. And, and it's wonderful to see because a lot of the old videos, you know, they don't get much action or comments. And, and that's that's where a lot of my research is, actually. I've done a lot of interviews and I've, I've kind of branched out into some different topics um, in the last year or so. Um, but I'm not one to just keep repeating things over and over again. So, uh, you know, that's some of the best material is some of the stuff that I did, did in the first year or two. Yeah. So uh, you would recommend the Titan series to people as, as one thing people could dive into? Yeah, that's how the whole channel started. Um, looking, you know, looking into this idea that that maybe Titans once actually existed, and that they're not just myth and fairy tale, but uh, that perhaps there's there's some concrete evidence for for their existence. And uh, so that's that's kind of how the whole channel began. And then as I began to look at geology and and you know the the uh, the mountains and and things around me with new eyes. I started to recognize other other things along the way, and that led to some additional discoveries that occupied a, the next year or so of of uh, work on my channel. And that has to do with uh, what I call petrified organs, and this this idea that instant petrification is is a real thing, and that what we were taught about how you know, things petrify and how long it takes, whether you're talking about things in the fossil record or petrified trees, that the, the official narratives on those are, are probably very inaccurate. Yes, yes. I know you've mentioned Jay Dreamer's work and the plasma apocalypse scenario as a way of explaining perhaps what, what leads to these mass petri petrifaction or petrification events. Yeah, that's that was one of the things that originally got me on on the subject. It was a combination of of Jay's work, um, also Mud Fossil University. There was a video by a channel called Wakey Wakey that later got taken down in the in the big purge. You know, what was that, mm -hmm. two thousand nineteen or something? Um, and he was that that video was called Geology Revived, and he was just looking at some of the cornerstones of mainstream geology and and looking at how much actual evidence is there for some of the claims that are be ma being made when it comes to things like the dating of things and uh, you know how how stones come about we, we it's called petrogenesis you know the genesis of stones mm -hmm. and um you know the the mainstream narrative is is lacking when it comes to uh, explaining the 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 fantastic myriad of uh manifestations in the geological world that that we see because, uh, you know, the mainstream thought is that everything is just dying and then compressing. And then it makes these layers over tens and hundreds of millions of years. And then those layers get jostled through tectonic activity. And then uh, the the stones like break off into ever smaller and smaller pieces and erode. And then, you know, that's that's pretty much it. And then you've got volcanoes doing their thing. So it, it was uh, it was a breath of fresh air to realize that maybe. Um, some of the things that I had pondered as a kid and, and later on when I was in different areas that were just fa fabulous, you know, geological areas. I got to see a lot of the, the national parks of, of the Western United States when I was a kid. 
And I always just, you know, pondered over how, how organic and biological everything looked. And, and, um, later when I went to study chiropractic and I studied tissues and, and the anatomy of the body, a lot of times I'd be out walking and I'd be like, wow, that looks like it just grew it, you know? And I knew that I knew the mainstream narratives from, from high school and, and college and, not that I studied geology ever, but, um, you know, I knew the basics and I, and I was a, a bit of a science buff and got uh, popular mechanics and, you know, science and these different magazines when I was younger. And, and so I was always kind of trying to keep up on the latest discoveries and, and, uh, never, never occurred to me that, that, uh, some of these narratives might, you know, fundamentally might be completely wrong. Uh, so that was, yeah, it was an eye opener. And then you had the the courage to go forward and begin putting out your research. I know this is such a contentious area. I imagine you've gotten a lot of knee-jerk reactions from people coming from established perspectives. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the people from the mainstream don't even encounter my work because it's really in kind of the, you know, the the alternative uh, communities when it comes to different ideas. Um, a lot of, you know, people looking to earth shape, that was kind of how a lot of this began because a friend of mine is uh, Alex Michael, conspiracy music guru, who um, introduced me to his, his wacky worldview. And uh, so I set about trying to debunk him uh, for weeks and kept coming back with thing after thing. And, and um, you know, the, the things that I thought were going to be slam dunks as proof turned out to be Hollywood tricks and manipulations and playing with numbers. And, and so, you know, that got me just looking at earth shape as a, as a questionable uh, topic, which, you know, never occurred to me. And, and, uh, while I suspected that the moon landings might have been faked, I never for a moment believed that that maybe um, they'd been faking everything since, you know, because clearly we've got that ISS that's floating up there and, you know, at 250 miles and, you know, broadcasting live streams from from up there. So it just never, in, you know, so I, as I started to look into this stuff more and more, I, I realized, whoa, we've been you know, we've been duped on, on a whole lot of stuff that it never occurred to me that, uh, for a moment that it could be, it could be fake. And, uh, so then I just realized that that's, it's kind of like this, I call it the skeleton key of conspiracy theories. You know, it doesn't matter really what the earth shape is to me or whether we're in a simulacrum or a simulacrum. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the matrix, um, <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me I, I personally i think we're in some kind of a toroid uh you know we're probably on an accretion disc and you know and inside of something um but uh you know to me it didn't really matter what the ultimate shape was if you could prove that that we were being lied to about uh major aspects of our of our given worldview that we we grow up believing um I, I call it the skeleton key of conspiracy theories because once you dig in, you know, and open that door and start to start to uh, look deeper into those things, it just it, it it starts to be like a house of cards. You realize that everything is propped up by illusion and you know um, mainstream narratives and academia and all of these all of these people who we're taught are the authorities, and um, you shouldn't question 
you know, these kinds of things, because that that means you're an absolute idiot. So, you know, yeah. that kind of gets back to, you know, what you alluded to before with pushback when it comes to my stuff. I wasn't eager to, you know, I I toyed with these ideas for a year before I produced my first video, um, you know, because like the last thing I wanted to do was was be the um, the the crazy chiropractor in town who questions the shape of our earth and believes you know the mountain in our backyard was once a, a, a you know a titan that lived and later petrified. So these are these are outlandish ideas to to most people, and um, you know here I am four years later still producing videos on this topic. But what what I never really suspected when I began on the whole thing was how much was going to just fall in my lap in confirmation of the stuff that I was looking into. It kind of began just as a, as an intellectual exercise. I like to, I like to question things, even in, I, I've, I went to school, I got a bachelor's degree and then I went back to school and I got a degree in chiropractic. So I, I spent a lot of my adult life in college, uh, 10 years of, of school and you know mainstream thought and and academia and the scientific method and all of these things and uh but i was always a rebel within that system i was always questioning and i was always the one that was you know kind of the annoying one in class that would always hold up my hand and have an opinion about things instead of just accepting them so um when when i started to look into this i was already aware i didn't know the word for it but i was aware of pareidolia which is you know when you recognize a, a pattern that's not really there, you see something in a cloud or you see something in knotty pines, you know, there's a face there, but it's, it's not really a face, but it looks a lot like a face and it's got eyes and a nose. And, you know, so oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love, I mean, you can see my artwork behind me. It's very abstract and a lot of people see all kinds of different things in, in the, um, the artwork that I've produced. And I love that. I love to just kind of let the, the gaze soften and, and, see what I see. And then sometimes I'll turn it 90 degrees and then you see different things and you turn it again and you see other things. So, um, you know, that's, that's pareidolia, but it's also, um, it's abstract pattern recognition, which is a, it's a trait of artists, but it's also a trait of visionaries that are able to start to put dots together and, and, and make connections that other people haven't. And that leads to amazing discoveries when, when it isn't squelched by, you know, square thinking <laughs> i love um, that I, I i'm a painter as well and i have done many paintings that i didn't think about as i was painting them i literally just let it come out and then i would turn it and turn it and turn it until i saw something in it and then i would i would call it that thing it became a tree or a mountain or whatever and it literally emerged from the chaos talk about organized chaos it's just it was an exercise in kind of how things get created around us all the time. They they get focalized into something recognizable, but until then, we're just talking about waves of energy. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's, you know, with regards to the artwork behind me, waves of energy is a perfect way to describe that because I described it as painting with light. A lot of people think it's painting, but these are actually photographs, and um, they were taken with movement. So the it's it's like a brushstroke of the camera, and um, oh, that's so crazy. it's you know it's like um, luminescence. You know the the palette was nature uh, chosen by you know whatever area I was in, and then I was the brushstroke, and and the you know the the um, 
the center of the camera was the was the uh the canvas and uh you know just it, it, i started to discover amazing things as i experimented with this and and uh and then later i got into let's see that way uh mirroring them and of course you know many many people are doing this now um you know, seven years ago when I was doing art exhibitions and stuff, there was nothing, when you search for abstract photography, there was, there was none of this mirroring stuff where, where you start to see additional faces, you know, and additional, mm. you know, that, that line where the mirror happens, there's so much that occurs there. And, uh, and it, you know, it's magical and it's layered and, it, and you can zoom in and you can zoom out. And, uh, and so that, you know, that was a whole other level of discovery for me when it came to the artwork, um, mm. you know, and then, you know, we talked about pareidolia, but there's also apophenia, which is, which is pattern recognition where, where you are seeing like getting back to my research with the stones and, and the mountain and everything um, where, you know, you can fool yourself into thinking there's a pattern there. And unless you actually engage in the scientific method and you, you look for repeatability and you try and, you know, do uh, in, in, in science, they would do a double, ran, you know, random, randomized double blind trial or something to eliminate all of these different factors of error or influence on the part of the, of the uh, experimenter. So, you know, those are, those are all things that I had in mind from the very beginning when I started to, um, look into the mountain and uh that was that was where it got weird because i i just started off initially by looking on google earth and, and tilting you know you've got 3d and you can zoom around and and um the the mountain resembles an elephant and it's known you know by many of the locals as the elephant and so i was just like after seeing jay dreamers and and mud fossil university talking about his giant dragon in the sahara devouring a fish you know i mean these are ideas that are just like batshit crazy to to you know <laughs> most most normal people um but what really kind of hit home with me in seeing jay dreamers videos is he was bringing it and tying it in with mythology and and religion and i was always a big lover of of um you know this um uh like joseph campbell's work this you know looking at cross-cultural mythology and comparative mythology and and tying this into historical narratives and but but i always thought of that stuff as archetypal it was metaphors and it wasn't um you know most of that stuff wasn't literal so it was really jay and and you know mud fossil university that kind of got me thinking well what if what if our mythology is our real history like they're lying to us about earth shape and about space and and all these other things then then maybe uh maybe there's more truth to the old stories you know and you've got things like uh the norse mythologies with the world tree and the Yggdras, um you know which supposedly resides there at the north and it's this you know it's the it's axis mundi you know it's the, the center of the world up there and that's where the the gods hang out and all the you know all these things that um I just took as as mythology. What what if that that's real and they were hiding our our true history and and the the thrust of my channel really for the last six months to a year has been focusing a lot on the the evidence for the great trees because I find that that is the most conclusive of the evidence that's out there for any of these ideas. It's if like if you want to know that the avatar world really existed, you can find out and you can see with your own eyes.
and uh it's it's just the most astonishing beautiful thing so i i uh, i've you know it's been it's been quite a journey over the last several years because uh, one thing i started to say before is that there have been so many things that have just fallen into my lap of people like, Hey, did you know about this? And what about this? And, you know, and, and then I've discovered things along the way as I'm trying to solve questions that, that, you know, to, to empirical evidence that I'd found, like I'm finding this and it appears to be this, but how can it be this? Cause that goes against the mainstream narrative and what happened to the rest of the body, you know, in the case of petrified organs and, and all of these things. And, and uh, you know, the, the more I started to, try and make sense of it, the more things started to line up and dovetail. So it wasn't like I was getting, you know, extremely creative in my thinking and bending over backwards to try and make something fit this crazy narrative. It was the other way around. It's just been one thing after another that is that is um, that has come in to confirm these ideas. So that was totally unexpected for me. I know as a as an artist and a and a writer, I I've been very inspired by a lot of these concepts, as I imagine writers throughout history have been. I mean, we see this in the Joseph Campbell world of archetypes. And there was a great book that came out a couple of decades ago on on the writing craft called The Writer's Journey. And it was based on the hero's journey and and that kind of thing. So when I was when I was tuning into your channel and you posted a video of different kinds of mushrooms that could just sort of effervesce just flower up you know mm. uh, out of nowhere and you were sort of uh, hy uh sort of uh suggesting that this could be what caused something like the devil's tower or whatever so i ended up writing was... this, i ended up writing this little tiny poem about that i wanted to share with you it's very very brief it's oh. called dream poem i found this poem in my dream it wasn't the potted plant at first seen but a tremendous act of power blossoming like the devil's tower the world tree of trees a pendulum over hissing seas, turning slowly to striped stone as I winded my way home. And then it goes on from there. But that's the part that was very directly inspired by this imagery from your channel. I thought, how nice. freaky and amazing that is. Let's let's do something creative with that. It's it's hard yeah. not to be very inspired if you're at all creative or at all a dreamer by some of this wild evidence of possible realities that are outside the mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah, that particular video you're mentioning is actually a mirrored video from another channel. It was a very small channel. And um, he reached out to me because I was just toying with the idea because I saw a photograph of um, Devil's Tower alongside of a particular species of, of mushroom. And it grows in the exact same fashion. It has a flat top like like Devil's Tower. And uh, I was just like, OK, well, that's interesting. And that would also explain the hexagonal fibers um you know if there because even in the mainstream narrative there was megaflora megafauna and they talk about mushrooms that grew 12 feet tall and you know or, or or even bigger and we already know that in today's world the largest living creature in the world is a is a mushroom in the pacific northwest i think that's that's what the the mainstream agrees on anyway um so you know the mushroom what we call mushroom is actually just the fruiting body of the of the mycelium so if if yes. we lived in a vapor canopy style world where where you know it was it was subtropical throughout the entire realm, um, then mycelium would have stretched from you know one side of the realm to the other. <laughs> so yes. to think of to think of gigantic uh, you know fruiting bodies of mushrooms uh, that could later petrify instantaneously, I I don't think that's such a stretch. Um, 
scale wise, it's a little bit, you know, off when, when you think about trees that are many miles wide at the diameter uh, and considering uh, Devil's Tower to be a mushroom. I, I'm not sure how that would work out with like, say, the great cedars at six, eight, ten miles in diameter, stretching many miles into the sky. Um, but the, you know, that particular video that I posted, it's a short one. It's only like eight minutes long or something. Um, and this guy found the most amazing footage. And that's obviously what inspired your, your poem, because he's got 20 different species of this particular kind of mushroom. And they all grow very, very similar to Devil's Tower. And they do these same, same twisting fibers and they have these flat tops. And so he's showing these time-lapsed um, growth growth patterns of, of all of these different varieties of the same family of mushrooms. And I just thought, wow, that's that's amazing. It looks a lot like your your Devil's Causeway or, or what do you say? Uh, Giant's Causeway, Causeway. And oh, Devil's Post Pile and all these, you know. I visited so I, I visited the Giants Causeway when I was in Europe after my junior year. I I hitchhiked around Ireland and Northern Ireland for a while and had some wild stories and ended up there marveling at this 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 uh this uh, area because it's not just the causeway, the whole cliffs around it are all are similar to that as well. It's a large area where you're getting a lot of this kind of action. You kind of walk along it for a while. And I visited it kind of in a in a, a beautiful Irish fog. I mean, it was it was and then it opened up when I got to the causeway. I was so inspired by it. Years later, I wrote a book called Snooze about this guy going into the dream world. And one of his dreams where he has a kind of breakthrough happens there at the causeway. I, I had to I had to place that there. It just stayed with me for decades. Mm. I couldn't mm -hmm. stop thinking about it. It was so beautiful, but also so strange. And then we have the mythology around something like that, as we do with so many of these places. There are, you know, the myths and the stories that you get with a lot of these weird anomalous mountains like Mount Go or um, uh, other other places, even Devil's Tower. The Giant's Causeway, which supposedly comes back up over in Britain, you know, was a bridge that was built by a giant, according to the story. Uh, right. More mythology, right? More There's mythology. no evidence for giants at all. No, not, not at all. None. Zero, right? And so, you know, <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to just uh, throw into the uh, conversation is you have this phenomenon where the mainstream, the entertainment industry, seems to be out there constantly looking for what's happening in the alternative world of information and research. And as soon as something starts to bubble up and become popular and people start to pay attention to it, like biogeology, boom, 2022, we get this new Norwegian troll movie, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and there's also a new Godzilla versus, uh, um, what was the other one? Godzilla versus King Kong where they had a whole hollow inner earth that was, you know, avatar kind of world. So oh my goodness, yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. That's, that's worth seeing just to see them doing exactly what you're describing. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. I just watched the second avatar movie recently. And I don't know if you've seen that one. It's the water, the yeah. water version, the water way of water. And then in that one, yeah. great tree is an underwater tree. Mm. you know which is a, a whole different uh area of research that is probably right. 
out there waiting because there's, you know, you talk about these massive organisms, you know, the sea with seaweed and what's going on, you know, as a kind of flowering or fruiting of something larger, like a reef, for example, what the heck is a reef anyway? I mean, it's just, uh, I think some of the same questions apply to a lot of what's going on, you know, under, under the oceans. Well, even in Star Wars, like one of the newer Star Wars, they had, um, you know, they had these mountains that when you when they zoomed out, you could see that it was a, it was a body of someone that was laying down and it was decomposing. There's a classic uh, video by Pink Floyd called Mud Men. It's like a six minute long little movie. And it's all about this idea of we're 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 living on titans like and th this is an actual titan that gets up and moves you know and then their whole world the little tiny people that are living like in the wrinkles of the skin and in the hair and everything of, of this titan you know their whole world periodically when this thing moves around gets you know shaken up big time and they've got to run for cover and hope to survive and and then eventually it settles and they get to like go back to living their normal lives again it's it's pretty fascinating. That's just another one of those things that I had never seen and then came across, you know, along the way. Yeah, Mudman by Pink, Pink on, Floyd. On YouTube. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's on. It's on YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Then you have like REM, "Standing on the Shoulders of Giants," "Leaves Me Cold," very, very popular song back in the day. Uh, just the whole idea of standing on the shoulders of giants is is related to this topic. Absolutely. Yeah. And giants, you know, this is I, I, I was joking before when I said there's no evidence. I mean, the amount of evidence for giants is is monumental. And if you go back to the the newspaper clippings from the late 1800s to the early 1900s before the, the robber barons took over the publication industry and the healthcare industry and, uh, you know, <laughs> basically gave us the world we're living in now, um, you know, the, they were reporting constantly on gigantic things that were being found in, you know, as they were excavating this, that or the other or, or deep down in mines that were hundreds or even thousands of feet below ground. They're finding civilizations and giant beings. And it sounds like the stuff of a fairy tale or fiction, but these are mainstream newspapers that are writing you know, the, the writers are speaking very matter of fact and rather eloquently. It's, you know, it doesn't it doesn't ring like a National Enquirer article at all. It, it, you know, and then and then they just had took, pictures, if, too, right? There were pictures in many of these publications. Some, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, my kind of thing. Yeah. My, my friend Ben, he's got a new channel called uh, The Archivist Waking Up with Analog. And he, this is what his primary focus has been. He's been, he's been clipping, uh, you know, from these digital archives for the last six years or seven years. And he's got something like 8,000 of them uploaded to his Twitter account. And he's just started the YouTube channel about less than six months ago. And it's doing really, really well. He's had a couple of amazing uh, interviews with uh, THC recently, uh, the higher side chats and fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and and he's but the, the wonderful thing is like some of these clippings don't have the, the date and the time. It's like you can't go reference them. But like I said, they they ring true. And yeah, they could be faked in our current world of AI everything. Um, but when you see his work as a whole and you realize that there's a continuity from state to state and and while they're telling these incredibly wild stories about what they were finding and what was going on at the time and you know local legends and local history and all this stuff that 
really doesn't match what we were taught about, you know, the old world in, in North America at all. Um, you know, you start to realize that it's congruent across the, the, the states. It's not just like a one-off newspaper that's publishing wacky stuff. There's, you know, and this is what Ben is so great at, at consolidating and presenting in a, in a way that is, is easier for people to grasp that haven't really um, gotten wise to the, the possibility that just about everything we were taught is in one way or another a lie <laughs> or an inversion or, you know, uh, a diversion. <laughs> I would love to come back to that subject because that opens up into a lot of different avenues. But I, I did want to ask you what your take is on the phenomenon of these discoveries that you're referencing. I mean, most of these giants are, um, they're giants, absolutely, but they're not on the scale that you're reporting Mm. Yeah, 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 you're you're talking about twelve to fifteen feet, and then yeah. you've got some, you know, fifty footers, hundred footers, um, in you know, in in the myths and in some of the documents. Um, so what I've envisioned, it, you know, and sort of parsing through some of your work and thinking about other things that I've learned over time, looking at the simulation theory, holographic theory, putting different pieces together, it almost seems like the 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 story or the rollout of biogeology follows a kind of fractal pattern. Yeah, that's that's been my take from early on. And and that was because when I, you know, first started looking at this, I was pondering, you know, what if it was possible that that, um, you know, the stuff that Roger was showing from Mount Fossil University was actually possible or real. And what what really gave me pause was that he started referencing ancient Greek texts where they were talking about this great battle between the Leviathan and the behemoth and describing, you know, the size of these creatures and where where this battle was taking place. And it's exactly that part of the Sahara where where Roger is likes to go in on Google Earth and zoom in on these different parts and talk about the anatomy and everything. And I, you know, I never just bought it hook, line and sinker, but I, I thought it was fascinating that there was some some uh, ancient texts that were making reference to that. So then when thinking about the mountain here, we're talking about a fractal level down from that. So from a thousand mile long creature to a three mile long creature. And then if it were an elephant, a fractal level down from that would be, say, a mammoth, you know, a larger mammoth or something. Yes. Yes. So so um, the. Um, the interesting thing about titans of this size, like Mont Go, is that, and then I knew nothing about this until later. People are like, you should check into the Book of Enoch, you know, and talk, you hear about, in, like in the Bible, they're talking about the, the angels went to work at the great trees before the flood. You know, the, the idea, I think, is that they, the, uh, when the creator sent the flood to, um, to purge and to, you know, to clean all of the uh, the the corruption that was occurring of 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 creation and the the, mu the mutations and everything that were brought about, I guess, through the fallen angels, and you know they mated with the daughters of men and gave rise to the titans, and then the titans were destroying everything. And, and you know these are there's lots of different myths. Not I mean that's just one particular one, but the idea of the titans in the Book of Enoch, they they actually give a a, a size for them. They, they said that they were 3,000 L's, which is roughly a mile tall. So that's like exactly what I was finding here. So it was like, whoa, that I didn't even know about that, you know? Amazing. And uh, it's it's been, that, there's been a lot of that kind of thing. And, and um, 
you know, when it comes to the great trees. And like I said before, I think the evidence for, for those is the most com compelling of all of this. Um, there's a channel that I'm always referencing nowadays called Hangman1128, who's got hundreds of hours of footage on his channel with really high definition camera. And he's gone up and he's showing that like, here's a petrified tree, here's a regular tree that's decomposing. This is all the ways that that decomposition manifests. This is how it breaks down. You can see the different component parts. And then he'll pick up a little piece and he'll hold it up. And there in the distance is something that looks identical in every way, shape and form. But that little piece in his hand, it's, it's you know, its counterpart is 50 to 100 feet wide. And he's showing this over and over again and all the different ways in which sap manifests in the trees and sap manifests in the big trees as petrified sap, which is quartz manifesting in all kinds of different ways. So that is, it's such compelling. Gold. What's that? Relationship between quartz and gold. You've gone into that. That was really interesting. Yeah, that was my, that was my last live stream. Yeah, I've done, I've done a number of live streams on this topic um, over the last six months because it, I feel like, I feel like, if people start to wake up to the the fact, in my mind, the self-evident fact that these trees were real, and there's a lot of evidence for it. And this goes beyond, like a lot of people were familiar with the, the whole no forests on flat earth thing that came out about six, seven years ago, looking at all the mesas and the tree stumps and Devil's Tower, which we already talked about, and, and hypothesizing that these were once stumps of great trees and then the question is well where did the rest of the tree go and was there some technology that came was it the glittering sword of god was it paul bunyan what you know why why are the mesas just like chopped clean across you know mm -hmm. um and so i thought i thought all of that was fascinating but i didn't feel like it was conclusive enough that i was going to like jump in and start making videos about it and plus there were already a bunch of other people that were that were you know looking at that stuff but when hangman stuff came along um it, i i realized that if if people understand that megafauna and i'm not talking about the megafauna spoken of by geologists and our you know archaeologists uh, but but megafauna on you know an avatar type scale if that's a real thing then uh, megafauna isn't such a you know reach you've got megaflora megafauna you're going to, if you got one, you probably got the other, you know, right, and that, right. that just gets into this whole fractal nature of reality. And that ties into, you know, are we in a matrix? Are we in a simulation? You know, or, or is that just the way the world works? And, and it, you know, because the vapor canopy phenomenon, if you had different types of vapor canopies that would have different densities of, of oxygen and different types of radiation, uh, being filtered out, filtered in, whatever, you know, in theory, you could have a, a kind of descending fractal where you, your vapor canopies change over time to become um, uh, slightly uh, less mega and more what we would perceive as normal. Uh, and, but really what's going on is there's kind of a, you know, we really are standing on the shoulders of giants in a scenario like that, where the world is kind of built up under our feet over these various iterations of the cycles. I'm just saying this is another way of looking at it. If you wanted to say, let's let's uh, let's look at this as a real material phenomenon, <laughs> you know, maybe yes. some kind of repeating uh, a, a cycle, a reset cycle that maybe comes after some kind of plasma event. 
then then we get another type of of biosphere that we're exposed to, whether that's inside some kind of disc or who knows. I mean, you know, we could theorize what that would be or, or what's even creating the vapor canopy to begin with or who's doing that. Those are questions that it would, would perhaps be difficult to answer, but you could see how different atmospheric conditions would be required for the different types of mega fauna and flora that we're talking about. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of evidence for that in the, the mainstream scientific narrative where they've done uh, experiments with pressurized rooms and increased oxygen content, and uh, and they get incredible results with, you know, just growing tomatoes and plants. And, and uh, so you get gigantism and, and you get much larger fruits, you get much larger quantities of them, and... Uh, so I think, you know, if you if if there was a time if there was a time when we had much higher uh, oxygen concentration, if if we were in a more pressurized environment, then gigantism would be a natural result of that. But another thing, you know, thinking of the vapor canopy era is, is um, you know, when when we think about lifespan, if things are growing longer, most things will grow to to meet their their environment. You know, if you have a like a turtle will just keep growing and growing and get bigger and bigger. But if you put it into a smaller confine, it won't grow beyond a certain size. So it might be that in the, the, the time of the Titans, the world could sustain a certain number of creatures. And then, you know, through, you know, overpopulation or whatever happened, then then it's like, OK, now we need to have a smaller size. And so maybe it's just like we're getting downsized to make more and more room for greater and greater amounts of life. So that, that ties into the whole fractal thing as well. So it also there's a lot to the, to the, um, to the lifespans that we see in so many of the myths and uh, scriptures and that kind of thing. I just posted this on my YouTube channel the other day and I said, shades of the vapor canopy, anyone man's biological clock set back 10 years after 93 days living under the ocean in a research station. And I linked to that. Yeah, I saw that. That was fascinating. Um, yeah. And that ties into these, I, what do they call it? Hyperbaric chambers or something, mm -hmm. you know, where it's yes. like a pressurized environment. Um, and also thinking about lifespan, um, you know, the um, Ben uh, from from the archivist who I spoke of before, he's done a, a couple of streams with Old World Florida, another great channel. Um, and they've been looking at things um, that have to do with radium and, and different radioactive radioactive materials, uranium, plutonium, radium. And and, it, you know, we've we've both Ben and I have been looking a lot at the the different materials that these trees were were creating. And so some of those materials may have come about as a result of the transmutation process, like when the plasma event happened or some high high heat event through vol volcanism, something electromagnetic, whatever it was that led to the petrification and led to the destruction of the old, you know, the gigantic world, that may have also led to a transmutation of elements that, that gives us our radioactive materials. Or it's possible that in that ancient world, those radioactive materials were already, they were there and they were being created by these, these beings. Like we have these, these, uh, you know, loop bioluminescent creatures in the, in the oceans. And we've got bacteria that luminesce when you jostle them. So there's, you know, the, and, and uh, what old world Florida has been looking at is a lot of the springs where in Florida, where, where it's, you know, the fountain of youth is rumored to have been, 
Florida has the highest concentration of mineral springs in the entire world. And those mineral springs, many of them are rich in things like radium. And so if you go back to the old articles, which is what Ben has been doing and reading about radium, one of its benefits is longevity and, you know, um, healing and all of these things. And so this is coming naturally in these springs, but it also leads to gigantism and longer lifespans. <laughs> so, you know, there's so many things that point to, to similar conclusions. It's, it's uh, really fascinating. And like I said before, the longer creatures live, the bigger they're, they're going to get, I mean, you know, and, and, even the mainstream narrative is saying, oh, we had dragonflies that were a meter long, you know, and uh, and they tell us about the dinosaurs, which I think is a, a load of bull. But, you know, dragons is, is a myth that exists in every society uh, around the world or most, you know, these serpents, whether they were water serpents or flying serpents or whatever. Uh, and they were they were gigantic as well. So, it, you know, it, this is all this is all the stuff of myth and fairy tale but it's like now now it's very real and concrete when you start looking at at the actual evidence that that exists for it, it, it who would have I thought mean, the the, <laughs> the uh the fountain of youth is in my backyard i'm up in saint augustine and oh I, really oh yeah. you live in florida yeah and so oh, I've, lucky I've you. Trying to, I've been, yeah what's been fun in a lot of ways i've been trying to get martin uh and cheryl to come up and visit before he takes off back to cardiff uh, Martin, oh, Lee, yeah, Martin Lee and, and, because he would be very interested in all the Tartarian architecture in the in St. Augustine and that sort of thing, but also mm. just uh, things like the springs and and whatnot. Um, I was going to say that, um, you know, you have like, well, I think it was a couple years ago, there was a, um, a, a movie made about the life of uh, Marie Curie, the, the one who uh, discovered uh, radium and and then you've got this narrative of the radium girls coming out. But of course, that movie was kind of a hit piece on the con on radium because it made it look like it was, you know, this. Um, they want us to think it's toxic. Yeah, that's super <laughs> toxic. And so yeah. like, like they do everything kind of being turned upside down. I mean, it was a fascinating movie. But, you know, in light of this discussion, you wonder, you know, how where the truth is with all of this or, or um, is there you know, uh, and did Mary Curie even exist? Because a lot yeah. of people think that she's exactly. one of these fictitious characters. You've got exactly. Shakespeare and, you know, the, these the, these people who are created to be placeholders for the rollout of different ideas. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's a lot about her story that seems a little fishy to me. Yeah, I've read some of that. The, the other yeah. question I had related to trees and transmutation of elements, I mean, we can get into things like the Philosopher's Stone and transmutation and, 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 and all kinds of alchemical myths and or information. But one does wonder if trees could take, let's say, a toxic substance, something that might actually be harmful, and by transmuting it and and broadcasting it or uh, putting it out into their their very large environments that they would if they're huge trees for example if they might be able to change the qualities of a toxin for example into something that would be healthy <laughs> you know i would say absolutely with, uh, they're I doing mean, this with, already with, with mushrooms have, with with avatar you have unobtainium right and it's this right. you know this it's this uh this uh very powerful uh resource so it is what is it is it a stone it's a a, a gem or a, something like gold it could very well be radium they might it's just be radium. giving it a different it was, name it was it was, yeah. it was glowing yeah. um yeah it's really fascinating and is that what 
is happening in these biosystems and avatar when everything is glowing and all the creatures are glowing they're all bio they're all bioluminescent the people are bioluminescent and yeah. you know so i'm just i'm just wondering about that i was also wondering about the relationship between this potential phenomenon and something like the Rus russian research on torsion energy that's been done with pyramids and showing that these pyramids create all kinds of weird bio effects, growing healthy, healthy um, gardens around them, creating uh, more peaceful environments around them, less illness. Also doing these weird atavistic things where the research has shown that pyramids uh, that in the vicinity of pyramids, flowers and trees and other types of plants that are supposedly extinct show back up. That's a very fascinating phenomenon. Mm. And I wanted to, uh, while on the subject of pyramids, I just wanted to throw this out. I think it's kind of interesting in the relate and on the subject of pyramids and Titans and stones and that kind of thing that you have Enoch called the chief cornerstone. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, just to go back uh, to what you were saying about about the trees transmuting things like, you know, toxic radioactivity, that kind of thing is already well established currently with the mycelial network. So that it's, you know, it's well accepted that um, toxic waste, plastics, uh, and, you know, I think they, you know, I don't know that the whole narrative when it comes to nuclear power and Fukushima and Chernobyl and nuclear bombs and all that, that's also another one that's a, a deep rabbit hole. Um, so right. does ra does radiation exist? And if it does, what, you know, how, how, I mean, obviously radiation exists, but, but, you know, is it, is it like what they're telling us? I mean, Chernobyl is a thriving ecosystem. And when I was a kid growing up, I remember them talking about nuclear winters and that if there was a meltdown or or bombs were dropped, that that there would be so much radiation there that nothing would grow for potentially thousands of years, right? That right. was that was that was the narrative when I was a kid yeah. in school. Sure. And and so so yet you've got, you know, Hiroshima and um Nagasaki and you know shortly after those bombs went off people were already moving back in and those are both thriving cities now and I don't think World War II happened thousands of years ago so that narrative was total bullshit and you know when I was a kid right, right. they were talking about global cooling you know if we don't change things fast we're going to go the way of the woolly mammoth because we're going to get another ice age that was the narrative when I was in my teens you know and now it's like oh global warming and then they stop with the global warming because you know, things weren't getting warm enough and we were having some of the coldest winters ever. So they just went to climate change because it's the vaguest thing you could ever possibly talk about. And it can, well, it's always changing so they can never be wrong, right? It's kind of like the war on terror. So, um, you know, you've got this invisible boogeyman that they, they can always just move the goalposts in any direction they want to. So when it comes to the radiation and, and you know, Fukushima, I remember seeing these fear porn clouds of, you know, the radioactive photography or you know they it was this plume that was moving across the pacific and they were saying it was going to kill all the wildlife in the pacific and we were doomed and you know and it's like you know last i checked not everyone in in japan is dead and they're right next to fukushima but anyway going back to the mushroom thing that you know there's a lot to suggest that that you know i i think anything can be transmuted and and biologically you've got transmutation through high energy like you know heat or or plasma that's just a fact and i could cite some examples of that or like chicken um, eggs 
with calcium. Yeah, yeah I've, I've mentioned that in several of my streams. And, and that ties into this, you know, this whole idea that a, a chicken is eating mica, which has the, the building blocks of calcium, right? But it's it's not, if, if you look at how much calcium is in the eggshell, it, it's more than the chicken is consuming each day. So it's got to, it's got to get that calcium from somewhere. And it also needs calcium for its own bones. So you know, what's happening? Well, clearly it's taking these other materials and it's creating calcium. And we're, we're told that that's not possible in the, the periodic table with, with, you know, the mainstream elements are born in the heart of stars and then they supernova out and we have limited quantities of them and, you know, and then they coalesce in different places. And that's why certain planets have this and other planets have that, you know, and that's that whole, you know, space narrative. And, and then we've got our geological narrative of, you know, the earth is 4.6 billion years and the, the universe is 16.4 billion years and all these things that they, they just tell us, oh, these are just facts, you know, but they don't tell you about biological transmutation or the fact that you can take a tree and put it in a pot and measure how much soil is there and weigh the tree and then put it in a room and only give it distilled water and sunlight for years and the tree is going to grow and take on mass. So all it's getting is light and water that has no mineral content in it whatsoever. <laughs> and yet it grows and takes on mass. So where is that stuff coming from? Clearly the tree is transmutating the sunlight and the water and creating other elements. So I mean, I, I, uh, in general, I didn't know, I didn't know about any of this stuff until the last four or five years, you know, it's, it's just like bought mainstream narratives on, on everything. And now you find out they're very concrete scientific experiments to show that fundamental parts of the, of the world that we, you know, we've been given or the world story that we've been given are just bull. <laughs> right, right. I mean, given the given the absolute um, omnipresence of these of these ancient trees or uh, stumps or whatever we're we're encountering uh, all over the place in this world that would have been largely made up of trees, it seems like to me. And then things like Avatar, where the trees are seats of consciousness, and then you look at so the druids, you look at shamanism, where trees are absolutely sentient beings, actually rather related to us in many ways, and with an affinity for people. Do you think there's any truth to this idea that that trees were somehow massive beings of consciousness, that they were worshipped? That that, oh, that un uh, undoubtedly still are. I mean, the original internet, right? Um, the mycelial network works in conjunction with the, the trees and their root structures and all of the plants are all interacting. And there's a wonderful book I read called The Secret Life of Trees. I can't remember who, I think it was a German author, but it's been translated. And, um, you know, it's talking about the complexity about how trees communicate. And you would, it, it's an utter mind blow, that book. And, and uh, you know, they can, like if an animal is, it, it, they'll allow animals to consume a certain amount of them. But if a herd of animals is is over consuming to the point where they, it's going to lead to the destruction of, of the tree or several trees, they can signal to other trees like downwind, hey, these guys are taking more than their fair share. And those trees can start to produce in their leaves a toxic substance that will actually start to kill off some of the herd to save the trees. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, wow, it's nuts. Crazy. You know, yeah, there's so it, that book is filled with wild uh, revelations. So, this is the, um, the Daniel Carabut, uh, The Secret Life of Trees, Exploring Their Communication, Cooperation, and Significance. 
I don't recall the author's name, but that sounds like the right one. Yeah. Well, then there's, you know, there's another one, but that's not a German sounding name at all. There's several. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about the German part. There's another one called The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World. That was another book mm. that's got a lot of uh, reviews. So there's several books on this subject. Maybe they're covering some similar territory. Possibly, yeah. But uh, you know, and and mycelial the mycelial network. You you know, going back to Avatar, there was a scene that um, that Cameron originally wanted to put in, and that they never finished it, and they didn't put it in. But basically, it was like a it was a shamanistic ritual where he was the, the the main character was consuming something akin to ayahuasca and you know they had this massive you know event with awa you know the the the, the mother tree and, and uh you know all these visions and uh it you know i think um I think that there's definitely uh, way more to, I mean, nature is so powerful that they have to do everything they can to suppress it, to keep it from just thriving. I think that's, that's the natural state is, is uh, bounty and, uh, and, you know, plenty, but um, we're, we're given manufactured scarcity. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Totally. That's a, that's the term I would use too. So let, let's, uh, let's talk just a little bit about, um, why why the psyop why this big psyop in your estimation across so many areas why is everything inverted false or even if it's somewhat true it's almost never the entire story what's going on is this a coordinated effort is this part of just uh something that we can't understand are there bad guys are there uh, you know uh, are we talking about nefarious forces deep state illuminati are we talking about uh something like a simulation what what what's going on here because pe i think people this is, yes i i would i think this is the driving question for a lot of people getting on youtube and doing channels whether they know it or not this is actually the root question it's what the hell is going on to create this fuckery in the world <laughs> yeah well you know it's you got I, I don't know several things came to mind when you're saying that the first one is if they can get you asking the wrong questions it doesn't matter what your answers are. That's so perfect. that's you real. know that's so good. You know, yeah, tying tying that in for, a, for an errant fest T-shirt. Sure, yeah, it's, a, it's, it it's not it's not my line, but you're welcome to use it as much Who's as it, who, who said that. Uh, I don't know, but um, I think it's great, and uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, you know a lot of a lot of us. Something I did coin. I don't know if I was the first in the world, but I I, I looked online. I couldn't find it, but this this concept of, of paradigm blindness and that's mm -hmm. you know they 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 feed us a false paradigm and then we go around believing that paradigm and then again if they can get you asking the wrong questions it doesn't matter what your answers are so we end up like palpating the elephant and we're like it's a rope you know as you pull on the tail and it's a tree stump you know and it's you know it's all these things but you don't you don't ever get the big picture because everything is compartmentalized it's all you know pyramidic structure of of control where you know you've got all these people who are specialists in in their field but they can't branch out of the field because they don't want to step on other academics toes or say something wrong and be made a fool of so you know there's that's the paradigm blindness is a very big thing um and um you know the question is to why uh i one of the things that 
you know, why lie about the big trees? I mean, this is such an amazing part of our past. Like, well, that that teaches us that major parts of our mythology and maybe our world books, you know, the stories like the stuff in the Bible and the flood, the great flood myths and all these things, all of a sudden those start to take on more of a significance and a meaning. And, and when I was a kid, I could care less about the past. I didn't, I like digging in the dirt to, to look at like, some rocky structure that existed hundreds or thousands of years ago. That was the most boring thing I could think of. Why, why would I want to do that when we could take a rocket out into space and we could explore nebulas? And, you know, I was a big Star Trek, Star Wars junkie. So, you know, if, if, if they can just get you to believe all this stuff, then, then your focus is up there, you know, and, and it's the same thing. Like when you're talking about this earth shaped debate, like, you know, if you start looking at the empirical evidence down here and we see too far and gas pressure can't exist next to a vacuum with, you know, without a barrier and all these fundamental things that are very scientific, you know, based. You know, if you just got everyone looking up the stars and, and, and into the moon and going, well, the moon is round and the sun is round. And so those are balls. So we must be on a ball, you know, and they don't realize that, well, you look at the stars of this P900 or P1000 camera. They look very different from what what we're told. They're like cymatic utterances that are vibrating in what appears to be a liquid, you know, <laughs> a liquid uh, medium. Yes. So, um, and they're they're showing concentric circles and in all of these these you know fractal like patterns. So, um, their paintings, yeah, their photos, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, and and so the and. You know, when I was a kid, I was just all out there, you know, in the future. And I I could care less about the past. Now I'm now I'm a typical old graying phobia. It's like, man, if things were better in the past, let's go back to the old days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but but for good reason, because you know, when you look down, I mean, just something like architecture, the, the further down you go, the more impressive it all gets. It should be the opposite. The further down you go, the more primitive it should be. But instead, we get Cyclopean, you know, megalithic architecture way down below. So you got to pull away all the mud flood stuff and then you got to dig down and go into the tunnel systems. And, you know, there's just like it's crazy, the stuff that's being discovered all over the world right now that all of it just destroys the mainstream narrative. If you just think about it rationally and you, and you, uh, you realize that they couldn't have possibly pulled off this stuff you know, the way we're told in the time frame we were told that it happened, you know, just um, so. I guess the question, you know, I mean, we grew up like why, North... what's going on. You know, you've got Jason who likes to mm -hmm. theorize that there's a, some kind of benefactor force. He, a lot of times he connects this with with uh, Enoch or Inky. But there's something like the with the, for example, with the Mandela effect where there's... Let's come to both of those real quick. I just want to finish before I forget. Because yeah, sure. this is tied, tied to exactly what you're asking. Um, you know, one, I think it's spiritual warfare. Ultimately, I think that the people who are in control, they may not even be human, you know, or they may be possessed or they may, you know, whatever it is, they, they're, they're, they're clearly psychopaths. They don't operate the same way we do. They, they are, they're all about, you know, control and gain. They're not operating with empathy. They're not to save the world and make it a better place um so that's that's one aspect of it and then there's a the sheer profit motive and i don't profit is a weird one because they control the money system so money is irrelevant to them that's just a tool of control for them obviously 
But but when it comes to something like resources and, you know, whether we have limited or unlimited resources, that's debatable. But if you think about the trees, what would be the point of lying about the big trees? Like what's that's kind of well, it doesn't really work with the size of the ball. They told tell us we're on and the time frame and how old things were and stuff like that. But it's also, you know, what are they mining? You know, so much of the world is is controlled by resources and what they can pull out of the earth, right? It's needed for our electronics and, oh, we need this particular element to be able to make this thing. And it's very rare and it's very expensive. And well, if you know that, that the trees existed and their root structures and certain species of tree were, were known to be rich in this particular element, you know, then you're going to have a huge advantage over everybody else in finding the raw materials that you're looking for. So I think there's this, this is where, you know, somebody who's, you know, knows this stuff and owns major mining companies, they're going to have a major financial advantage over somebody that's like, thinks that everything died and got layered down over hundreds of millions of years and then got bumped up by tectonic activity, you know, they're going to be like, they're, they might randomly hit something once in a while and, and hit it, you know, and, and make a score, but they're not going to be just like, this is where we need to go right there. That's, that's where we're going to find what we're looking for. You know, so right. that, that, I think that's a big aspect of it is, is, and also I, I keep talking about the trees, but if Titans were real also, we're bioaccumulators, we're, we're creating all of these tissues as we, as we grow each and every tissue is, is, different you know in its in its uh composition from all of the other tissues and um you know there's going to be different elements that that are going to be found and if you know where to go to find those you you know you're going to find the the lodestone or the ben ben stone or whatever you know these materials that are right they're mythically sought after the unobtainium and radium and all this stuff so i think that's one of but but ultimately i think it gets back to control of the mind, control of consciousness. And, you know, that now we can talk about the benefactor and the simulacrum and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's just a theory. I mean, it's this idea that, that there's, um, there's something trying to wake us up because it's easy. It's easy in the truther community to go to the negative, to go to the predatorial, to assume that, you know, we're just be everything we're seeing is the result of psychopaths and evil forces. And yet there are some, some strange things going on, like the Mandela effect and like this explosion of truth emerging everywhere, left, right, and center, as if possibly something, someone is trying to wake us up, wake the flock up. Yeah. You know, it's at least possible that we are being given, you know, massive amounts of data to shake us out of our hypnosis. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, if you look into Hollywood, I, I it's only been the last five, six, seven years that I've been aware of how deeply occultic Hollywood is and how literally everything that comes out of there it has has multiple layers of meaning and symbology is is woven throughout it all. And a lot of these seminal classics, you know, like the Wizard of Oz and and uh, you know Alice in Wonderland and these these stories, the you know they're deeply they're deeply esoteric, and a lot of it is coming straight out of you know the influence of Theosophy in in, in Hollywood and um, 
so there is definitely an effort to to wake people up and it may be that you've got the good wizards and the bad wizards and you know the bad wizards kind of have control of the realm right now for the most part so the good wizards have to operate in a more subtle fashion and they're you know they're they're keeping they're keeping the light alive so so to speak right right um, but they and and they're they're trickle feeding us, you know, information that allows us to slowly wake up and, and become less and less um, controlled. Um, this whole concept of the matrix, uh, you know, the simulacrum, simulacrum. <laughs> I think Jason mispronounces it. Yeah, yeah. I, he's, he's, the one I, he's the one I learned the word from. Now it's his trademark. So, so you know, yeah. it's <laughs> typically it's simulacrum but, or sometimes simulacrum, but Jason has a an endearing way of saying it. Yeah. Well, when I came out of The Matrix, I, I saw it in Berkeley of all places, like when it was in the movie theater the first time around. And I came out of that and it was just like reality was different. You went in, it was one way. You came out, it was another way. And all of a sudden you're just looking around going, you know, are, yeah. are we in? Are we in that? You know, and uh, and and to me, this, you know, ties in deeply with the whole concept of, of um, synchronicity and You've got the you mentioned the Mandela effect, which is this kind of idea that it can be changed. And, you know, some of those Mandela effects are if you go out and ask 100 random people on the street of the same age group about something that's directly related to something that they would have gone through in their childhood, they're, you know, 100 out of 100 practically is going to give you the previous answer, <laughs> not the current one, you know. And that includes the Bible, that includes different lines from movies and different products. And so there's definitely um, altering that's that's happening to our collective um, reality, you know, consensus reality. Um, but I've 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 had a different thought about it because either it's all it's all just a simulation and, um, you know, it's a big game and we're in avatars and we've agreed to come here or maybe we're being punished. And this is, this is a place we come to, to learn lessons so that we can, you know, be, be uh, able to deal with the power that, that, that we have as, as beings. There are all these different ways to look at it. But when I, when I started looking at the mountain and started looking at the stones, my, my general understanding is that, I, I see the matrix as an overlay that exists on creation. So you have a, a created reality that, that came from God, uh, whatever you want to call God. Um, and, you know, how old that is, I don't know, what it, whatever. But, but then on top of that, you have your maritime law and you have your... Uh, the the Federal Reserve, and you have the, the school books and all the narratives that were fed that are false, and you have the TV, and you have all all the stuff that you know the internet and all the, all these things that are that are tools for us to wake up. But for the vast majority of people, they're they're tools that are being used to keep them asleep, and that's what I see as the matrix. And I've I've when I go out and I see a flower and I see a bird and a bird, you know. Uh, you know, lands nearby and I can, you know, watch it interact with its environment. To me, that's real. And, and I, um, you know, I just marvel at the beauty of this, this creation. I think it's an incredible, wonderful place, but there's all of this stuff that that's not great. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with all the ways in which 
this natural flow and a natural plan is being subverted. So mm. that I, I see it more like a, a, an overlay on top of a, of a, of a real <laughs> reality. But how does that relate to the concept of an accretion disk? Like you mentioned earlier, where you, because if you do the biogeology thing and you take it down far enough, unless we're talking about infinite time, you hit something that's not biogeology. Yeah, well, I I think that ultimately, when you look at an atom or a cell or an organ or you know a planet, not not a, in the NASA sense of the word, but a you know a, where we are, I have no problem with the idea that there may be other places that are like this but different, or that it may be nestled and that we might be inside of some great being, and and this is you know this oscillating vortextual thing that we call the earth is actually a living breathing thing that you know like uh like when you look at the stars and you see these cymatic energetic emanations we might just be in a in a big version of one of those and um and there's no reason in my mind that that couldn't be nestled uh in a tissue of some larger you know a heart that's beating for, for example sure. um there was a turn, turn of the century uh, astrologer named Dane Rudyard, and uh, in one of the books I read by him, he he described reality as a hierarchical series of interpenetrating holes, W H O L E. So a hole would be an atom, a hole would be a cell, a hole would be an organ, a hole would be a being, a hole would be a culture, a hole would be the the world itself. And, and it's a hierarchical series of interpenetrating holes. So all of these holes are interacting with each other in, in, and they're, you know, embedded within each other. And, and, you know, this, to me, it's a, it's a beautiful way of just kind of conceptualizing the, the complexity of, of reality and what we're in. Yeah. There was even a, a context, uh, uh, a concept that came out of uh, a lot of classical thinking back in the, you know, growing out of, of, of the um, Greek philosophical system, but kind of flowering in England, for example, in the time of Pope and Swift and you know, the 18th century, that sort of thing about uh, having to do with the plenum, P-L-E-N-U-M. And it was this idea of all things that exist within this, this, whatever this is, the world, the, the universe. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, the idea would be that at some point in time, you kind of max out a given space <laughs> and that maybe there are other worlds that that would exist adjacent to that, interlocking with that, superimposed on that, whatever. But that that infinity doesn't just necessarily keep going without discrete breaks uh, that would be possibly fractal or, you know, some other structure that allows them to interface. Yeah, everything seems to oscillate. I mean, if you look at sound waves and you look at the, you know, the Fibonacci sequence, the spiraling in, the spiraling out, centripetal force, centrifugal force. Um, you know, are you familiar with the the, the Martin Kenny um, stuff with the cosmic egg? You know, he he was yeah. talking about these like that that the Earth may actually go through these these growth cycles, and just like the, the rings of a tree, like if we're in Think of Yggdrasil once again, you know, this central tree that that existed in the in the north. We've got our aurora borealis up there. We've got the, the compasses point there. 
and and periodically there may be you know and this may be what the plasma event is is that this is like some kind of a major birthing trauma as as things expand and and go outward and um you know and that that may also explain this fractal quality as well that the further out it gets the bigger things get and closer to the center it's more concentrated and closer to source and you know it's fun to ponder all this stuff and it makes you want to like try and hop on a boat and, and go and see what's what's up there um yeah it really does <laughs> but I, yeah. I like the, I, you know i like looking at things from a philosophical perspective it's more my wheelhouse i just enjoy it more i did want to ask you when you talk about concentric circles and oscillations cymatics that sort of thing what do you make of tree rings how do you interpret what tree rings are I don't know. I mean, I think the different colors, um, you know, are directly related to the seasons and, you know, the, the kind of the outer forces interacting or uh, are, are acting upon the tree. Um, but beyond that, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you. It's interesting because I was having a, a conversation with Square Peg Divergent about isometrics and trying to figure out what's going on in the timeline and and using the past to predict the future and uh you know this is something that jason had been pioneering and he was looking at this almost like you drop a stone in the water and you have you have the the uh wave dispersion that happens going going uh forward and backward in time right so you look back let's say at an event that happened um uh you know you take a a, a central date a nodal point 1975 for example and you want to see what's going on then you would look at 1950 and then you would look at year the year 2000 and those those would be kind of equidistant dates yeah what does he call that isometric something isometric, or other, right isometric projection that's what he was calling it and and then yeah. then square peg and i got in this discussion about well what if it's not really like you know uh waves uh, the action what if it's more like somehow in some capacity more organic and more like tree rings that we're looking at that time is actually functioning something like in, in some way that is more like a tree and uh yeah, well if you think about the toroid and the tree yeah. you know starting with you know it starts as a sapling and it's got roots going down and, and it's got yes. its leaves going up and then it's going to slowly expand outward well that if you took a cross section of the tree that would be the accretion disc right so that yeah. would be yes slowly expanding outward um and and that's like ripples on a pond. So you drop a rock in and those ripples are spreading outward and they get bigger and bigger as they go further and further out and they go in opposite directions. Um, and that's the wave diffusion that's happening as the as the rings spread out over time, like the like the, the ripples would get farther and farther apart. Also, yeah. Yeah. And that I mean, this ties in a little bit to what I do as a chiropractor. Um, you know, when I'm adjusting people, that sound, that popping sound when when you know the, the joints pop, that's called a cavitation. Yes. And that that happens when the joint fluid, when there's a separation of the, the bones on because of tension, what it does is it creates a, a, a vacuum in the joint fluid. And so there's diffused gases that exist throughout the fluid. But because of the suction, those gases coalesce into a bubble. And then at a certain point, which is called the paraphysiological space, where you, you move beyond that space, 
that's when the popping happens. Well, what the popping is, is an implosion of the bubble. And at that moment that it implodes, it gives off light as well. So that's that cracking sound is, is an actual implosion of the bubble. A lot of people think that's bone on bone or that's not what's happening at all. What's actually happening is that these bubbles are, are expanding and then collapsing. And that is sonoluminescence. If you've seen the whole star in a jar thing, that's exactly what they're doing with sound. They're hitting a spherical jar of fluid and they're hitting it with sound frequencies from different directions and getting the frequencies right. And it's causing these little bubbles to expand and collapse and explode and expand or implode. And, and that's happening like thousands of times a second. And that's creating what they call a star in a jar. And it looks identical to what you're seeing when you're looking up into the, into the heavens with the powerful non-NASA telescopes. <laughs> you know, when you, when you've got the, when you've got the P1000, you look up there, it looks exactly like that's what's happening. And it's a sight to me, those, I think I just see the stars as like cymatic utterances of the, of the Godhead. Um, mm. But going back to, to the cavitation thing, the, there's a lot of theories about something called solitonic transmission, which, yes. you know, there are theories about the fascial network in the body that, that it's this, this fatty crystalline liquid crystalline network that literally goes from, from the head to the toe. And it's in every single tissue in the body at every level, you know, going permeating the entire tissue. And so some, some are suggesting this is a communicate uh, communication network that is either working in conjunction with or, or at a higher level than the nervous system itself. And, and that operates through solitonic transmission. So when there's, when there's some kind of a, a, a pull on the, on the fascia, it sends, it sends things in both directions outward. You know, it's like, I don't know, I guess some people would call it pressure mediation or something where mm -hmm. it's like, it's going out and, and, uh, it's such fashion, fascinating subject because it, it's one of the things that they're using to explain how we can do things that we shouldn't be able to do based on the speed of how fast the nervous system yes. transmits. Yes. You I know? Mean, uh, all like, the fascia stuff with uh, like uh, myofascial work, for example, uh, really, really interesting. And sort of the fascia is piezoelectric. And then you get into, I mean, I just did an interview with Being Human podcast a few days ago, or maybe it's more like a week ago, just I get published two or three days ago. And we got into the subject of sound holograms. You have the work of, um, of Peter Garayev and wave genetics and some wonderful writing done by Rich, physicist Richard Allen Miller on, on his work. And they're looking at uh, the whole genetic apparatus as a as a solitonic lattice that is a, this this communication network. I mean, and then of course that would that would interface with the with the fascia and with the uh, the uh, the rest of the physiology, and that would contribute to what we see as the toroid energy that ultimately uh, is given birth from the heart area and sort of that pumping action of the heart and the toroid. Um, uh, energy field, uh, the electromagnetic energy field that we see. Um, so, I mean, the, this is such a did, map. Did you get into any of my videos on the on the subject of the heart? Not just the heart stones, but the works of um, of Francisco Torrent Guasp and the helical heart. Do you, are you familiar with that? I did not, but I was already familiar with his work. Um, oh, and yeah. so when you started talking about him, I was completely on the same page. And this idea that the heart just is kind of this role, you can just kind of roll out the heart, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've got a, for, for people who don't know anything about him, I've got a, um, 
I've got a one minute video that's just uh, like I, I made it for TikTok. Um, that that's um, it, it packs a lot, a lot of information into one minute, but it's it says the heart is not what you think is the title, and um, you know like Rudolf Steiner, he had uh, a lot to say about the heart and and circulation and and our whole model when it comes to how the heart works that it's you know contracting and pumping blood out to seventy trillion cells. That whole model fails very, very quickly when you just look at it from a common sense perspective that you have you have blood with high viscosity that's going to ever ever narrowing tubes. Oh, it's and, great. And, and on one on one contraction, that's supposed to push all this blood out to all of the cells. And then it's just going to passively fill, you know, and then pumped out again. So uh, this is what um, Francisco Torrent Guasp. Uh, a Spanish cardiologist, he found fault with this this theory even when he was in school studying cardiology, and he dissected thousands of hearts, and it took him a long, long time, but eventually he discovered this, what's called the myocardial ventricular band, which is this idea that you, if you know how to do it, you can actually um, dissect a heart bluntly with your fingers without even using a scalpel, and the thing literally unrolls into yes. one long one long band. And, and so, so the electrical impulse is going from one end to the other, but because of the nature of how the heart is constructed and rolled up, they call it the Gordian knot because you get all these fibers going in, in different directions. That leads to these dual, uh, you know, spiraling vortexes that go in opposite directions. And it, the heart is literally an energetic singularity that that's a, it's like a perpetual motion machine from the time we're born until the time we die. Uh, and he proved it anatomically and then later proved proved the the toroidal flow of blood as well so most people have never even heard of him he should have won the nobel prize and uh he died about 15 years ago now he's the guy who was who lived just across the mountain from you Is that, isn't that true yeah that so, was such that was such a like these mind-blowing yeah <laughs> you're, yeah. you're all these correlations between these rocks you're finding and and some of his data and other data related to heart physiology. And then he's like, like, I still look, I've got, goosebumps, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it still now after all this time, because, <laughs> because, um, yeah, I started the, I, I was looking at the whole mud fossil thing and I was looking at the rocks and I'm like, yeah, they do look biological, but I was frustrated with the fact that, that nobody was really, I mean, Roger had his three DNA analyses, you know, that you could find on his, his website and download if you wanted to look at them and see, well, yeah, they're real lab reports with real numbers. So, you know, um, but I was always frustrated because it was always the people who were talking about the stuff, they were pointing at these really nondescript things that were like, yeah, it could be that, but it could also be this and it could be something else. And, and so that was, that was frustrating for me. So I, I just kind of put out to the universe, to God, you know, I'd, if this is real, you know, send me something undeniable. You know, I want <laughs> I want something that and three days later, I was walking in a river bottom with my girlfriend and uh, I looked down and I saw this rock. I'm like, wow, that's unusual. It looks different from all the other ones. And I picked it up. And after about two minutes, I realized this this is a heart. How This is impossible. And, you know, the, you can, even in the mud fossil, you know, mud fossil theory, that wasn't possible because because why would the heart be completely separate from the rest of the body? You know, it, it didn't didn't make sense to me. But I was looking at it, and I, right off the bat, I found like six, eight different anatomical correlations. And there, I could see that there were chambers, and there was like a valve structure, and 
And I, and I, the more I looked at them, like, so I carried this heavy thing back and started, started looking, I pulled out, I've, I've got two great anatomy books here from, from school. And I pulled out the chapter on the heart and I started looking at it. And, and that first day I had like 12 different anatomical, 12 to 15 different anatomical features. Later I went and I got um, endoscopic, endoscopic camera so I could go into it. I got a microscope, after, you know, further on and, it was just like, and it just opened up this whole thing that I had never even considered as, as a possibility. And that gets back to the whole scientific method where I was just like, okay, I'm not going to do a whole pareidolia thing with the rocks here. Uh, you know, so if there's anything to this, I should be able to find more, right? If this is a real phenomenon. So I went out to the river bottom and, you know, and, and uh, that, that second time, so I made two videos, one called Mud Fossil, The Heart of the Matter. That's when I go in with the endoscopic camera and I show side by side, this is the anatomy, this is the rock, you know, and then I rotated, here's the, you know, so, and then I, then I went out with the, um, with the, you know, just filming, and I found another, like, in about 15 minutes, I found another dozen rocks that had a very similar configuration to them, and it wasn't the kind of thing you would expect from just, like, rolling around in a river bottom and banging against other rocks. These were very specific shapes that I was finding, and they had indentations at the top where the valves would have been. And, and so that, that began this whole journey. And I didn't know anything about the helical heart. I didn't know about Guasp and his discoveries. And uh, it wasn't until I'd already made a bunch of videos on the subject. And I had another video called um, Petrified Organs, Giant's Hearts, and How to Spot Them. I had one called um, Broken Hearts Tell Tales. I, I, I did another one where I went out live, uh, you know, a little Hearthstone field work. And I and I literally like took the camera around. There's another one. There's another one, you know, and I'm picking them up and I'm showing them, rotating them. You like you can see the pattern is reoccurring. That shouldn't be happening based on what we're we're told. If, if it was a particular kind of rock that was just breaking off and eroding in that way, you shouldn't have the scalability. You shouldn't have different colors of, of them. Uh, there were all kinds of things that were just like, more and more lining up with this is a real pattern and uh and i've found a whole bunch of other things since then but it was guasp's work that someone in my comment section turned me on to they're like the heart is a rope and i was like okay whatever dude <laughs> the heart is a rope never heard that before you know and then okay. and then a little while later you know someone else is like the heart is a rope you know check out the helical heart and i was like the helical heart i've never even heard of that you know helix vortex you know and, and uh so I pulled up this documentary on, on Gloss and I was watching it and uh, he was, you know, I saw the, the heart and then when he rolled it up, I, there's this point where the fibers meet. So you got fibers going this way and fibers going this way and they meet and those are called sulcus lines, right? It's like well, a rose folding on itself almost. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like a knot. It's literally like a, a rope, you know, uh, that, that's been knotted up. Uh, it was the heart was referred to as the Gordian knot for for, you know, many, many years because nobody could really unravel its secrets until Guasp came along. And, you know, Alexander the Great came along and just sliced through it with a big, uh, you know, a big sword. That was the, that was the story when it came to the Gordian knot. And 
you know, the, the one who can solve the Gordian knot will be the emperor of Persia or something like that. And, uh, you know, so he doesn't bother to solve it. He just slices through it. And I thought, oh, that's a good metaphor for mainstream science and their approach to, yes. you know, med to medicine, you know, as opposed to really unraveling it and figuring out how it works, which is what Guasp did. So um, I, um, I was watching that video and when he rolled the heart back up and I saw these meeting points, my jaw hit the floor because I realized that you know, at that point, I already had a, a hundred stones that I'd brought back that were like matching this pattern. I'm like, there's no way. How can this not be described in the geological record? Nobody's ever talked about this phenomenon. This is going way beyond random chance or cherry picking because the, the specificity of the of the repeatable findings, uh, you know, is is like there's there's a pattern here. And I I'm not a geologist, you know, so why who, who am I to be coming up with this this kind of a. A discovery but then you know when i started making videos about it people started sending me you know photographs and videos of them like with even better specimens than what i was finding here in spain with with like still red still like looking bloody and so that was when i went out and i started breaking them open and finding that they have chambers in them and some of them are red inside you know i was like what the hell this is we're told these are clay clumps that have just like been compressed in sedimentary layering to the point where they start to become metamorphic rock because of the heat and the pressure and so it starts to melt into a much harder rock than the surrounding clay and that is how these rocks are supposed to come about and then they just pop out and they bump into each other and they get eroded by the wind and water and that's that's how we get these these reoccurring mm -hmm. forms and i'm like that makes no sense whatsoever to what i'm finding and and so then um watching that video with was i realized that a bunch of the rocks that i had seen had these curved lines in them exactly where these fibers were meeting. So I like, I paused the video and I like went and started to look at these rocks. And sure enough, a bunch of the ones I'd already brought home had the curved lines exactly where they were supposed to be. And, and then learning about the helical heart, I didn't know this either from school. I was just like, it's a four chamber pump here, 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 right? That's not what it's doing. It's 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 a spiral vortexing contraction. And if you film the heart, you know, they open up chests and there's videos of the hearts and you can see from the bottom it's contracting like yes. this. It, it's a vortexual spiral contraction. And so that was another like and then I went and looked at the rocks again. And a lot of the best specimens that I have, when you looked at them from the bottom, it was like a propeller twist. It was, you know, they, they literally petrified in that position. Yeah. So how much, how much specificity? Twisting, right? That little, that little bottom tip. Yeah. So you've got, you've got indentations or openings for the, the aorta and the vena cava on top. You've got, you've got this, this harp shape, you know, harp, heart. Yeah. Earth is an anagram of heart. Yeah. Heart, you know, uh, they're all, you know, and, and then you've got, you've got the sulcus lines, you've got, sometimes you've got the coronary artery, which is there, it's, it, you know, it goes across. Uh, it was one thing after another, after another. And then for me, the, the slam dunk was this spiral at the bottom, because explain to me how that happens through random erosion in the riverbank, right? It's just- It makes no sense. Uh, yeah, so then, you know, that was, that was such an eye opener for me. And then one day I was watching that video again, the helical heart video, and I saw that Francisco Torrent Guas, it said Denia, Spain, which is literally 10 minutes from me. I was there today. Uh, um, wow. and, uh, and I'm like, 
what? And I didn't know he was dead at that point. I was like, you know, or no, I probably did because they, they talked about, you know, that he had passed away. Um, but uh, I, I, I went looking online and there was a foundation for, you know, the, the Guasp Foundation. And I'm like, no way. So I, I uh, one day I got up the nerve after I'd been doing, you know, a lot of videos and studying this to, to call the foundation because my hope was that even though he was no longer alive, that maybe there was some cardiologist because he, he, he suffered major backlash from the cardiology community. He was ridiculed by his, by his contemporaries. You know, it took them 25 years before they woke up to what he discovered and proved unequivocally. They proved it with positronic emission. They proved it with, um, they, they took a cow heart and they blew it up with gas while doing CAT scans. So you're getting slices of x-rays. And so they're expanding it and they're, they're taking x-rays as, as it expands and as it contracts. And you can see the dual vortexing of the fibers, not just the flow of the, of the blood through it, but the, the heart muscle fibers themselves are also doing that as they contract. So, uh, I mean, this, this wow, is just, wow. it, it, cardiologists don't know this, right? There's, there's loads of medical doctors don't have a clue about the, the true nature of the heart. And yeah, so imagine, imagine, like, imagine people trying to do heart. Right? Yeah. Oh, you know, they're doing heart surgery and they don't even know how that heart freaking thing works. You know, it's just nuts. So That's I called up thought. What's that? That's a little yeah. thought. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. So uh, I called up the foundation one day and uh, Gwasp's wife answered and I told her, I'm a huge fan of your, your husband's work. And, um, you know, I, I've just wondered if you might know a cardiologist that I could contact because I've made a discovery that's not exactly related, but it's it's indirectly related. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to get the opinions of, of a cardiologist because I could care less what the geologists say about these stones because they're, I, I, in fact, I, I have a video called Paradigm Crushed, which is a three-hour video of the telling of the tale of being contacted by people who wanted me to send rocks off to a laboratory in the U.S., which I did. And the reason that it's three hours long is because 90 minutes of that is telephone conversations. And so I, I have to go through visually to show everything that's being spoken about in those conversations then I show their conclusions and then, you know, point by point, I show why they were erroneous, why they were completely hand wave dismissing my findings, why they didn't address the actual phenomenon, why they just towed the line on the mainstream narrative in every way, shape and form and and actually were disingenuous and went out of their way to try and misrepresent what what I was presenting. And uh, so that's that's a really interesting video and worth watching if you're if someone has the time. Um, it's Honestly, a good whole channel. People should just start at the beginning and just watch your channel because it's, it's if, kind if of you want to see the evolution of what's happened. Control. Yeah. Watch them in reverse order because you'll, you'll see how, how, you know, my first video is still to this day, the most watched video because it's the first um, of, um, of the, the unveiling a Titan series. So the first video was an overview. It's my weakest video that I've ever done. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I would remove from that video. Um, that I wouldn't have put in. I would have worded things differently. Um, but part two through six, it's all about the eye of Montgo. The third one is about the ear. The fourth one is about the tissues of Montgo examined from a histological perspective, which is histology is the study of tissue. So I started looking at, well, bone, what is the, co the construction of bone? What are the components of bone? How does bone manifest? 
What does the internal structure of bone look like in the external structure of bone? Oh, there's blood inside of bone. That's where our red blood cells are produced. You know, that like blood has what? It has iron in it because that's why it's red. You know, so there are all these things that I was finding on the mountain that matched up perfectly, like one after the other, after the other, just like either, either we're in a simulation and reality is morphing to, uh, <laughs> you know, to meet my wacky thoughts and ideas, you know, uh, and then, you know, it's like an egregore. The more more people see my videos, the more find these heartstones. And all of a sudden, they're showing up everywhere. Maybe they didn't exist before. Yeah, maybe I, you're you creating know. this phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible, you know. It's, it's possible. Like, I mean, it really is possible. I know I keep coming back on this channel to the idea that we're actually, from a shamanic perspective, that we are perceiving the reality that we're experiencing. It's not so much like a a mechanical or a technological simulation it's the way that energy is focused in the human experience and so mm. you shift the way you are perceiving it the way you are assembling your world by shifting the center of the assemblage you begin shifting the world that you experience mm. we might call this yeah. we might call this manifestation and so various yeah. techniques for manifestation things like breaking pattern or uh, uh, using uh, positive thoughts, affirmations, sound technology to change your energy fields, whatever, whatever you might do, you, what you're doing is in, in this way of looking at things is you're, you're not changing the external reality so much as you're, you're changing the internal perception. And then that has the effect of putting you in a different reality. Yeah. Well, and I, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of this whole concept that Jason has talked about of reality tunnels and this idea that errants are resource hogs when it comes to the simulac simulation, right? That we, uh, I love that. That, yeah. that, that, that we, we are, we're a pain in the ass for the, the construct. And so, you know, it, it throws, you know, things our way to try and throw us off the scent or, you know, trip us up in different ways but eventually one of its approaches is just give them what they want so they'll they'll get lost in whatever their distraction is that they that they're excited about you know uh, but but also you get this kind of massing of people and to be um efficient with resources in, a, in the simulation it has to try and funnel groups of people into you know so this is the whole divide and conquer kind of idea and, and you know getting people to um to be part of this little clique or that little clique or believe yes. in this idea or that idea instead of being open to all things and trying to find, you know, where the overlaps are, which is the syncretic approach and which is also the, the comparative mythology approach. You know, this is the, the Joseph Campbell stuff. So I was always interested in that, but I didn't have words for it like syncretism and, and things until, you know, recent years. Um, so, but that, that was a fascinating idea that, that uh, Jason had about errands and reality tunnels. And then he he was, you know, synchronicity for me has been a huge one because I'm like the synchronicities that have happened to me in my life, especially in the last half a dozen years, are so profound. And so, uh, you know, from a mathematical perspective, you, you couldn't even begin to try to calculate this stuff. There's the, no the, way. The, the, yeah. And so so I've 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 always seen them as little taps on the shoulder from from the creator or from angels or whoever, whatever's at work to like, hey, take a look over here, you know, go go in this direction. And oh, you're on the right track. And, you know, I've always seen them that way. And I heard a, an interview once with Jason where he was talking about them as a um, as a 
as a way that that um, that AIX tries to distract us into different <laughs> reality tunnels. I remember that, <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, that's a different take. I, I still don't really, that doesn't resonate with me, but you know, if that's the case, then like, what's the point of anything? I, I, I don't know. I'm like, you know, because it's the synchronicities that really kept me going because I've had so much doubt. I'm not, I don't have a background in, in geology or physics or chemistry or any of the, the really solid, you know, I, I should have like the solid scientific basis for trying to like take on an ology. <laughs> you know, I'm not even really interested in taking on an ology. I'm just like, Hey, these are the things I found mainstream is never going to accept it. So I'll just make a YouTube challenge, share it with everyone so they can decide for themselves if I, if I'm a crackpot or, if, or if it's something to look into. And in the, in the course of doing that, it's just, you know, kind of snowballed and, and discovery after discovery, like just a couple of weeks ago, I, I from a friend who, who sent me something, I learned that you can create rubies in a microwave in 10 seconds. That's insane. I saw that. That is just <laughs> absolutely wild to me. Using plasma, right? Because the microwave is a magnetron. And this guy um, mixes together chromium oxide and some other powder, mixes them together, puts them in a votive candle, like thick glass things, so it doesn't burst. He, he, earlier versions that he did burst. And that's one of the, that's, you know, the mo majority of the video is his trial and error process. And then the end is the success where you, he's basically got a ceramic top and a votive candle thing. He's mixed these two powders together, turns on the microwave literally for 10 seconds and gets, you know, rubies that are like, you know, millimeters wide, raw rubies. And, and these are the, these are the second hardest on, on the hardness scale. You know the the rubies are after diamond. Yeah, so and I'm like I'm like, dude, that you know that's like plasma trans transmutation of elements through plasma to create the second hardest element we know of. Fact, not fiction, not a harebrained idea that instant petrification can take place. There it is, right there. You know, and then since then I've discovered so many other things like bog bodies and all. You know stuff where it's like bones are dissolved but the organs are hardened interesting that could explain why we're finding a lot of petrified organs because you know they harden to the point where they're preserved and then paramineralization takes over which is like an influx of of different minerals that, yes, that harden yes. it to stone right so i i was originally envisioning like volcanic activity and then the plasma apocalypse came along you know there are all these different ideas i'm toying with but it started first with the empirical finds. So it's all, it's been like, it's all been backwards for me. You know, I didn't have any knowledge in the subjects and all of a sudden I'm kind of thrown into this stuff. And uh, yeah, it's been- I would say what you're doing is much closer to the old ideal of scientific inquiry than what's being done these days where the answers are predetermined before the experiments happen and we're absolutely closed to possibilities. Yeah, it's even, all dogma. Even in the 19th century, the books that Jason's citing, the science of that time, these people were far more open-minded. And I would say they were, you don't want to talk about giants. They were intellectual giants compared to a lot of scientists these days. Oh, yeah. You read the texts from 100 years ago. I was like, whoa, they knew how to write. <laughs> they knew they had vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, and, and they could think. They yeah. could 
think and ask questions. And they didn't have word processors. They're like writing books from the first line to the end, you know, yeah. on typewriters or by yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah, like, like Dickens was serializing all of his novels just to talk about novels. And so he had to have the whole thing in his mind and he had to write all of the uh, all of the beginning chapters to line up with the end chapters. And he really didn't have any room for mistakes whatsoever. And he practically didn't make any. Mm. Yeah, and these well, hundred, multi-hundred page novels with plot twists and multiple characters and situations. And it's incredible what he was able to do from scratch moving forward. It was just like they were on a totally different wavelength. I know that when I was studying... Uh, medieval literature and Chaucer back in school, it, it, I learned that in those days, they weren't writing a lot of this stuff down. It was all oral poetry. And a lot of it was, was then written down by scribes and that sort of thing. And so somebody like Chaucer who might perform at court would stand up and deliver an epic poem that could go on for one to two hours. And he would recite the whole thing from memory and by all indications, there were no mistakes. Yeah, simply this is like the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. They were all oral traditions. They weren't written down until much later, right? So um, the, the ability, the cognition of these earlier people before they got distracted by whatever it is that's distracting us so much, and we could talk about that another time. Mental, mental midgets with the memory of mollusks. <laughs> that's I didn't so even I didn't even mean to do the alliteration there. It just happened. That's really that's, good. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> you definitely have a an artistic bent in many in many ways, and I think even your your ability and willingness to look at the world and the way you're doing it is a product of that. And I think that's actually a great resource for a scientist. And we've completely downplayed that and uh, ad adopted some kind of idea that there is, you know, um, and yet society, yeah, and yet society adores the Renaissance men, right? That's what they were. They were into everything. Absolutely, they <laughs> were know, not compartmentalized. You're... You know, they. Were, I remember there's there's a there's a quote even about what a novel is. A novel is something like the the last bastion of wholeness in a compartmentalized world. You know, you can put all those pieces together, and you can write about science and philosophy and religion and poetry and husbandry and everything in the world. And if you are a Renaissance type of person, you can get you can get enough information about all those different topics to put them together in an intelligent way that gives the illusion of reality. The original swiping. The, the original turning of the page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's better than you know what we have now. So you mentioned errands a minute ago. And before we uh, close here, I wanted to just let everybody know that Dr. Mike will be presenting at Aaron Fest. We don't know what he's going to be presenting, but we're super happy to have him. We have Me neither. <laughs> You've got some time. Uh, September, right? September, September 20th uh, through the 24th. So, you right. know, breathe a sigh of yeah. relief. But that's going to be really cool. We, we have, um, he's joining uh, our, our basically just an all-star cast that's going to include Jason Bashirs, Martin Liedke, uh, Waters Above, Max Egan, all kinds of people are, are going to be mm. part, part of that. I'm going to be presenting something. Uh, uh, there's, um, let's see, Campbell Purvis of Autodidactic is going to be presenting. Um, 
there's just a just a bunch of us and it's going to be really an amazing three days so i'm looking oh three oh cool it's a three-day thing friday saturday sunday so yeah that's going to be a, a busy weekend and i'm i'm hoping that we get a lot of a lot of people showing up also for Saturday night, which is Aaron's Got Talent, which is the music music concert of uh, Aaron Music. <laughs> I kind of wanted to reach out to the to you and your friend who did that amazing song about Flat Earth several years ago that you you've used on some of your videos. And it's not so much about flat Earth as I, much as just conspiracy. questioning, but but yeah, it's flat Earth is you know. Definitely oh, sprinkled in there, especially towards the end. If you had any interest in performing or putting together a video or anything like that that might that might uh, fit um, the musical slot, just let me know. No pressure. Well, Alex's nickname for me is Brittany because he had to do a lot of post processing to get me to sound that good. <laughs> so <laughs> I won't be I won't be performing live. <laughs> well, it could. Do you have a video of it? Um, well, right now it's just. Um, it's just some visuals that have to do with the great trees and like my last three live streams I've used as an opener. It's never, it's so a that's song that's never, it's way. never been published before. It's something he and I collaborated on uh, just after he finished remodeling his studio like seven years ago before he ever made his first song, you know, on the, on the subject of flat earth, we did a collaboration on a couple of songs. And um, so I sat on it for a long time and then I then I released it. But now I've just kind of been using it as an opener because it's a nice thing to for people to listen to with the visuals as they're kind of piling in for for the live chats if I do a live stream. And then he and I collaborated on a second song that I've only played one time. And that was on a, a video that I did called um, Coronation Day. It was really I should have called it Anti-Coronation Day because it was just, you know, my disgust with the whole royal family their connection to jimmy savile and all you know just all the yes the scum basically and um so that song was called jingle jangled so i told the story of how that song came about and i uh, played a couple different versions of it in that in that stream and that was also a collaboration with uh alex who's who's a you know musical genius par excellence you know extraordinary talent in every way when it comes to both music and video production and if people aren't familiar with his work, conspiracy music guru, go and watch every one of his music videos because they are a treat and they're they're visual eye candy. And they each and every one of them packs a wallop when it comes to uh, packing a ton of truth into a few minutes of time and uh, providing evidence for it as well. So. Well, if you would be willing to put me in contact with him, and if you have any ideas um, yourself for for participating in that event, I'm just opening that up. Just if if there's if, if that creative part of you comes out and wants to to be a part of the uh, the Saturday night music thing, you know that's an invitation to do that. And um, I'm, we, we've got a few slots left. We're wanting to make it, uh, you know, a long enough concert where people can get together and listen to it and hang out and do like errant parties Saturday night and that sort of thing. And so we're just making it a making it our own little uh, just the fun non-left brain part of the evening where we can just hang out and, and celebrate musically. Sounds fun. I'll um I'll send him this video when when you publish it. <laughs> and, he can, and he can decide for himself and I'll put you guys in touch. Definitely. Cool, cool. That sounds great. Well this has been a blast, a true blast. I, I feel like I've got some little pieces I want to go research. You've put some things together for me. People who 
maybe new to your work, I bet we have some pretty pretty exploded brains going on right now. There's just so much uh, so much to it, and it's just so vast and fascinating. It's just unbelievable. I have I have visions of your channel just uh, just going meteoric and just becoming something just uh, just extraordinary as you as you just add add layers of evidence to support your basic thesis here and and so yeah, that's what's been happening over the last half a dozen live streams that i've done because i found the i'm i suck at short format and um you know it's i'm such a perfectionist and to really get things in in a you know coherently with narration and i'm never satisfied with the narration and it's like some of the videos that i have that the earlier stuff like petrified titans and organs part one and two they were just kind of summary videos of the research shorter videos each one of those took me about a month to make. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. It's just too time consuming. I've got too many other things that just get stacked up. So I realized I could get a lot more out in live streams and there's a flow and it, there's a synergy when there's people watching. And, um, but you're very good at it. Too. You're very, you're very, you create a very welcoming live stream environment. You're, you're thoughtful. You. you don't rush yourself. You engage the chat. It's it's you're just very. And good. I'm not I'm not trying to shove ideas down people's throats or or tell them what to believe. I'm just you know sharing the things that I've been questioning, the stuff I've come across, and and uh, you know and and it, it's it's been fun to do. Um, but like I said, you know we live in this mollusk memory uh, time frame, so people want stuff in shorter formats. So. Um, that's, you know, it hasn't been my thing because I've been trying to do a, a short video on the great trees. I've put so many hours into it and then I get frustrated and I just leave it for a week. And then I, you know, I don't, I want, I want something that's like 10 minutes or less that just packs a wallop with all of the best, you know, information and data. But the amount of time that goes into something like that, I can do five live streams, you know, and cover way more information. So it's true. I think I think if you're choosing where to put your energy, you know, you just should follow the energy itself. You know, where where is it taking yeah. you? Where, where are you comfortable? That's really that's really what we have to go on, isn't it? You know, what uh, otherwise yeah. we're, we're just sort of trying to uh, convince ourselves that we should be a certain way as opposed to just being who we are. Well said. Yeah. Thanks for that. I feel better now. <laughs> <laughs> Beating my flagellating myself, yeah, it's like get That's to work. <laughs> well, there's two. There's two tendencies. There's those people who want those short soundbite types of things, but then a lot of people in this community, in the archaic community, community, they want more information. They want more data. They want longer, longer videos. It's it's kind of yeah. great. The people are kind of going in different directions. It seems That's to me. That's great, and those are, those are the people I'm you know interested in reaching. Obviously. Um, but, you know, in a two hour video, the average watch time will be between 20 and 30 minutes. So there's one out of 10 who makes it from beginning to end. Yes. yes. And, and that's a terrible percentage, in my opinion. Whereas the 15 to 20 minute videos, you get a much higher completion rate. So if any of your, your listeners start to watch any of my content and you like it and you find a particular bit, you're like, wow, this is this was amazing you know, feel free to drop me a line and let me know timestamp like this would make a good short video because I have a whole wealth of of content that that could be clipped out and into shorter videos, but I just can't stomach spending all the time to go back through my old stuff to try and pick a pick them out. So I hear you. you. Know, I hear you. I, like there's other channels that have like clip channels, you know, and I, I could probably do something like that. But 
takes off. Yeah, or maybe somebody would be willing to to do that for you if uh, if you could enter a dialogue and you you could trust that person and that sort of thing. You know, I know that's what happened with Jason. Is there was an Archaics Clips channel that started going, and that's that has really helped to uh, bring awareness to his work. There was a guy who took my conversation with Jason and did like an outline with timestamps and and it had like, you know, 15 different sections. I'm like, that was awesome. And, you know, if That's somebody great. wants to do that sort of thing, because then I can go listen. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot we talked about that. And I can just pluck that out and I can do a shorter video because uh, it, it it's going to be rep repetitious for the people who watch everything I do. But again that's one in ten <laughs> well the yeah, other so. thing i'll put this out there to to the universe or to whoever might be listening there is some benefactor who did a kind of ai search engine type of thing for jason's channel where you you, you can go in and type in what you're looking for and it will index the videos and the timestamps with that information oh it's wow i would love to know about that well, in fact i've been wondering there's got to be a way this one thing if there's if that person whoever that is or that that force of nature is out there listening and would like to assist dr mike and making his content more indexable so that he can create continue creating long form content but people can then dig down in it with a microscope that would be fantastic yeah, that would be awesome. And another thing I've been wondering how to do, there's got to be a way to do it, but I would love to get the, I mean, obviously there would be errors, but the text uh, from all of the the, the, the vocals in, in all the videos, there's got to be a way to using one of the chat GPTs or something to just pull out, you know, because YouTube is automatically generating closed caption stuff. Yes. You know? And so that text is there. I would like to get all of the text for my whole channel. So I've just got it in, you know, one or multiple text files and I can search for different topics because that will help me when I go to start to create a book for some of this stuff as well. I was going to recommend that exactly that. That would be, that could be your, uh, your raw material for a fantastic book. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'd rework the text and everything, but that would be a great starting point. So I don't have to do it all from scratch because, uh, a lot of you know a lot of the live stuff comes out really well whereas if i'm trying to type <laughs> i can agonize over it and get a little too perfectionist so well yeah you can craft all of this you can mix and match you can break it into chapters and sections and then you can put your references and resources and all of that and then voila there's a book you put in your images and uh you know you're off to the races Totally. That would be a, that would be awesome. So if anyone knows how to do that, let me know as well. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we put out some feelers there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. My that. pleasure. Thank you for the invite. It was fun. I, I listened to all three of yours with Jason and I loved your interviewing style. And so I was looking forward to this conversation. I knew it was going to be fun. So yeah, well, well, it was, <laughs> at least for me. So uh, this was, this has been great. And please everyone go to at Stellium 7 subscribe watch leave comments talk about it talk to talk amongst yourselves and uh until the next time hopefully this won't be the last time hope not all right thanks for the invite thank you for accepting have a good one